BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is the Immigrant Archive Project podcast, and I'm Tony Hernandez. Each week, we take a deep dive into my decades-old archive to bring you the voices behind some of our more fascinating conversations. In this episode, we introduce you to Antonio Jaramillo, who plays the role of Michael Rizariza on Mayan's MC, Kurt Sutter's spinoff of the FX original series, Sons of Anarchy. Antonio emailed me in 2013 after watching us receive an award at the National Hispanic Media Coalition's annual gala. He was moved by the stories we were collecting and expressed an interest in sharing his with our project. I called him back and after a brief conversation, I promised to carve out a spot for him during our next trip to California. A year later, we sat across from one another making small talk as a crew clipped on lavaliers and adjusted lights. And I'm embarrassed to say it today, but I was ill-prepared for this one. I normally put in hours of research ahead of each and every interview, but I was so busy this time around that all I walked in with was a very basic understanding of his IMDb. I knew that he'd worked with Oliver Stone, John Travolta, Blake Lively, and Benicio del Toro, which were huge accomplishments. But this isn't an Access Hollywood interview. What I'm after is something far deeper. And after a little probing, Tony delivered. During our one-hour chat, Jaramillo reaffirmed my belief in the human spirit, the power of the arts, and the value of second chances. We pick up the conversation where Antonio's road to Hollywood begins, behind the walls of a Mexican orphanage. It was quite, uh, I guess, uh, lonely. It was um, hard to get attention, you know, even from the other ones around you, the kids, the ones that have been there longest, they, they just, they beat you up, <laughs> you know, to tough you up. And then the new ones, you would try to comfort them because they were going through the same thing you just had gone through yourself. So it was... Um, just, um, it was learning, learning to, to cope with, you know, uh, the craziness. It was all kids. It was all, it was all boys. I mean, no, no girls. I imagine it would be tough to make friends in that kind of environment. It is. It was. It was hard to make friends because first you come in and, you know, as I said, it's a normal, normal reaction. The ones that have been there longest they are going to beat you up, make fun of you, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's how they cope with their issue. And so you're not becoming friends with them. And then the youngest ones that come in, they're not in a position to make friends. They're just asking for their mama and papa. And, and, and. So I'm not, yeah, I mean, I, I, to this day, I have no connection to anyone from the orphanage. And there was about 300 kids there. 
I would imagine many of them are incarcerated, uh, maybe not lo no longer with us, uh, maybe homeless. Um, because at 18, they just, you're out. Here's $100 and out, out where? You know, so, you know, I, I yeah, I don't have any friends down there. I, I, I wish I did, but I don't. My brother, who was there too. So, I guess. So you and your brother were both there during the same period? He was there the same period. We're a year apart and he was my older brother and he was there too. So, but we, we drifted because... He ended up crying all the time, and I didn't like that, you know. So I, I ended up being the opposite. I toughed myself up, uh, and that's how I coped with it. And so he went over there with the crybabies, and I went over here with the tough boys, <laughs> you know. But we were all on the same on the same boat. Sounds like a hell of a place to learn both ends, right? Compassion and the need to toughen up. It was a very tough place to try to find that balance of of. You got to toughen up or and, and find the compassion for those who are, I guess, suffering, you know, the new ones. You know, you could always see the pain and the same feelings you went through when there was a new kid that just came in, the new guy. You know, uh, I took on the role of defending them. So I ended up fighting with the other kids because I didn't like how they would. I know it was just a, a defense mechanism for them as well. Just, you know, how they, how they were coping with their pain to make fun of the other uh, but, you know, I ended up getting into a lot of fights for trying to stop uh, trying to stop that. <laughs> Perhaps I've been doing this too long, man. But, you know, I, I just can't help but see certain parallels to the immigrant journey and what you're talking to me about. You know, you're you're vulnerable in that situation. Right. You've got to toughen up quickly. You can't take crap from people. You've got to look out for yourself. But at the same time, you've got to be compassionate to those who are going through the exact same experience. Yes. I mean, it, it's very similar to what immigrants have to deal with because they come into a new place and they don't know anyone. No one knows them. And, you know, people beat you up, if not physically, verbally, or by the way they treat you socially, you're not accepted. You know, that, that takes a toll on a person. And so the immigrant has to fight real hard to, for a sense of identity, a sense of pride. Um, but at the same time, being surrounded by, you know, your your compadres, you know, your your fellow immigrants who are going through the same thing and, and you constantly see their pain and, and it's hard. You got to because you got to toughen up. It's like, look, uh, we got to get up tomorrow morning and go to work and fight one more time. And then you see your friends in pain because of they, they left loved ones, uh, kids, wives. And, and the struggle can be very difficult, you know, to get up every morning and get beat up verbally or physically. It's just a tough situation, you know, I mean, and they're just trying to work. They're just trying to work. That's all they want. You know, that's people can criticize them all they want, but you have to respect and admire the fight in them. Most people would give up. They get up, they go through rivers, mountains, walls. I don't care. I'll take the $6 an hour, 14, 16 hours a day, picking fruit or whatever it is. You won't, I will. And they do it. That's that 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 that. I think that should be. There's a sense of admiration, their respect. Most people won't do that. Can't do that. Then they do it. That's so true. And and with no safety net, right? I mean, most people think, yeah, they come here to take social services and free stuff. But the truth is, they come to work. 
And I'll tell you what, I've yet to hear one complain. Immigrants don't complain too much. They don't complain. And they, they're not out there asking for pocket change. They actually sell you something. If it's not fruit, it's a blanket or a, or a little piggy bank or, or something they created. I don't know, a guitar with one string. I don't know. Or, or they sing you a song or, or they clean your window uh, the, uh, your, of the car. You know, can I clean your window? Can I get, they offer a service in return for, you know, money. Not, not just give me money because I have nowhere to go. No, no, no. Here's what I can offer you, my service. Would you pay me for it? I mean, it's, it's, it's a struggle. It's quite a tough life that they, do, that they have to um, live. Okay, so let's talk about your immigrant journey, uh, Antonio. How was it that you found out you were coming to the U.S.? Um, well, I reconnected with my biological mother, and then I found out I had relatives in the States. And so I said, well, I, mean, I should go visit them. Who are these people? <laughs> um, so how did you reconnect with your mother? Uh, she came back 10 years later to see if we were still there. We were. Uh, yeah, she. I, I guess... You know, it was out of necessity that she put her kids in orphanage. Uh, you know, uh, it's not because she had some addiction to something. No, it was just financial reasons. And 10 years later, a half-sister of hers offered help and said, you know, let's go see if they're there and they can stay with me or I can help. So we were still there. And so we're like, we're connecting with these people. And then uh, we ended up staying with her half-sister. Okay, wait, wait. Hang on a second, man. This is, this is absolutely fascinating. Okay, so you're in the orphanage, right? You'd never met your mom, or at least you don't remember her. So, so how did you get word that she was there, that, that, that she was actually coming back for you guys? When we went in, my brother was five, I was four. So, so we did, the first early years, we lived with mom and dad, but that is, it was too early. We were there at four or five. Ten years later after that, my mother and a, and a half-sister of hers came back to see if we're still there. A lot of kids get adopted, but uh, but we didn't because we made a pact. Me and my brother, we were two. Nobody wants two for one. Say, so, wait, no. uh, I like him, but wait, he comes. Oh, no. No, no, that's too many. <laughs> so we were still there, and they asked us if we wanted to come with them. And, you know, I mean, the answer is obvious. Um, but it wasn't a very clean transition. It was quite a messy and... We're meeting people we don't know and our, you know, our behavior attitudes that me and my brother have, it's um, not easy to deal with, but I don't know what would you expect. And so it wasn't a good, um, I guess, coming together. And we would stay with relatives, but not, not for very long. Eventually, we ended up with my mother again, but she couldn't take care of us. You know, that was why we were there. So... I, we just ended up on our own again. Uh, um, and I was here and I thought, well, I stay here. Well, where else am I going to go? <laughs> so I stayed here. And were you in school at that time? I later, they put me in school um, in junior high, which was quite tough because my English was horrible. And my uh, attitude was horrible. <laughs> So I was always getting in trouble. Um, and I didn't do very good in school. It was very hard to, I mean, I'm new. Everybody speaks English. I speak horrible English, so everyone makes fun of me. I don't know how to deal with all these people. There's girls around, which I've never seen. And the orphanage was no girls, just the nuns. 
and they didn't look like nuns. So, dude, that is such a recipe for disaster. I mean, switching schools at that age is tough, right? Just going from like Santa Monica to West Hollywood to a different high school is, is, is incredibly tough. But to deal with a new language, with the fact that you didn't grow up around girls in that orphanage, I mean, that's like putting you on a different planet. It was, it was, it was, it was quite, quite difficult that I couldn't hang in school because my only defense mechanism, because I didn't have the verbal skills, was to, to fight, hit someone. And I just was trying to defend myself, you know, because you can't beat me up all the time by making fun of me, you know. So I would cope by defending myself physically and then I would end up in the principal's office and I, I was a problem child and then they kicked me out and and where am I going to go? <laughs> so, you know, so... Um, okay, so you were kicked out of school at what age? Oh, a couple times in junior high. Then I attempted high school and the same thing happened. And I attempted sports because I'm like, oh, you know, I'll... but I was just trying to belong like any kid. I just wanted to belong and... I didn't know where the orphans were, where the section of the orphans were. Like, where are they? There, there's none of those. There's the punk kids, the smart kids, the artsy kids, the jocks. You know, there were, and I was, where's my group? And did you ever miss the orphanage at any point? Did you ever say, like, you know, just screw it, man. I just need to go back. I, did I miss the orphanage? Hmm. That's a, that's a good question. Uh, I think I was happy to be out. But I was very confused and lost because at least the orphanage, I knew. You knew the rules, yeah. I knew I got up, I did my work, they fed me, then I fought with so-and-so and we played soccer and blah, blah, blah. And boom, again, the same thing the next day. So the routine was, gave me a sense of comfort, but I, I don't know if I, if, I, if I would say that I missed it. I mean, I, I was, it was just, um, it was quite a confusing time, um, but uh, somehow, uh, you know, someone upstairs was watching over me because uh, I could have ended up and, you know, the road has many turns and I saw them all, you know, and, but I was able to make a quick U-turn every time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Was there anyone in particular, as you look back, that you can say, you know what, that, that's the one person that really made me feel welcome? You know, good, good question, because there is one person. And up until now, it's only known to myself. Uh, her name was uh, Soledad Canizales. She was a friend of my mother. And she was the first person that I could feel as a child that treated us with unconditional compassion and love and understanding. No finger pointing, no nothing. This person was so nice to us. She's no longer with us. She died of cancer, but she never knew it. But her impact 
on me was humongous. Just like the work that you do with this organization, you know, uh, of filming people's stories, uh, the impact that those stories can have on one person watching it at home. You can't measure that. And that's exactly what this person, Soledad Canizales, and her family, that treated me like we were family when we weren't. In my own family, I was a problem child. and But, you know, everybody has their own issues. They have to deal with their own kids and their own marriage and their own struggles as a human being. So I don't blame anyone. But this single person in her family was lovely to us. And I'm forever grateful. It's amazing how you still remember her so fondly after all these years. She was so nice. She was so nice. Uh, invited us in to sleep in her home, even though it was on the floor or in the garage. But it wasn't in a way that you would feel uncomfortable. And she would fed us. Yeah, garage con cariño, man. Yeah, oh, that yeah. can be a lot more comfortable than a queen bed. Yeah, than, right? than a big uh, mansion with uh, coldness around. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. I'll take the garage with love and, and, and her kids would give me, she had older kids. I would, they would give us their clothes. So we have cool clothes now because his, his, his clothes were cool. <laughs> uh, and he wasn't bitter, you know, cause you see kids can react in a certain way, not intentional, but it's like, Ooh, there's new people at my home and I don't know who they are. And now I have to treat them like they're my family when they're not. No, even the kids, even, her kids, the girls and the guys, I didn't sense any bitterness. They would befriend us and give us their shirt and their pants. And like, hey, these shoes, I'm not wearing them. You you take them. Wow, they're, they're vans, these vans. I never had vans. So you put on the vans and then the Yopi shirt, whatever, you know, they're, because they had cool. And so it was in a nice family. How cool, man. Que bonito. Si, muy bonito, muy bonito, muy bonita experiencia. So at what point did you start thinking, all right, maybe this whole acting thing might be the right thing for me? I think the acting and the theater and the art itself found me because I was really lost. I didn't know what or where or how. I was just working like an immigrant to feed myself and put a roof over my head. And I would take any job. I've done them all, cleaning toilets, dishwashing, whatever. You pay me, I do it. <laughs> Um, but I had, I guess, this sense of, uh, this need to communicate and I, I came across the works of these great playwrights, Arthur Miller, Tennessee Williams, Chekhov and reading their words. And I'm like, wow, this, this in one sentence, they just, mm, there's so much power. And someone invited me to the theater and I went in my I guess my, I was very disconnected in my disconnectedness or my lack of a better word, I guess my being different was celebrated and not ridiculed. And I was, I have never felt that only in the theater are your differences celebrated. It's like, what you want to know about me? Really? Thought where I grew up, who I am, who my parents. Wow, nobody's ever asked those questions or even seem interested. So I, I felt at home. And, and then I started working in the way people would receive the work. 
I had never been embraced that way by anything. And, and it was great because I was learning about myself, but at the same time, I, I was being used to tell a message of whatever the scripted word was, whatever the text was. So I could do it because it wasn't me, but it was me. It was a wonderful balance of like, I can do all these feelings, emotions, words, and I can say all those things because it isn't me. No, no, but it is you. And it was a wonderful sort of therapy without knowing that it was because I ended up learning about human, human beings, why we do the things we do. And I, and I started not taking things so personal before any, any time somebody would give me a look or a sort of tone, it was personal. It was an attack. And I had to defend myself and my sense of my, my sense of identity. I would automatically respond that way, like, what did but I had to learn that we all have problems within ourselves. And it isn't about the person in front of you so much as it is what's going on inside you. But I had the theater. I had to be there to learn that, to learn about human beings and myself and what we do and why we do it and how, and how sometimes we do things that we don't mean to do, you know, but the, somehow the, it gets out of our hands and later we have to, I guess, live the consequences of those choices. So. You know, that's why I'm still here. It, it, art has given me a sense of identity, a profession, a life. A li it's how I support myself. But I never watched TV. I didn't know what an actor was. What did they do? I, you know, I, for me, it was learning about myself to communicate with other people without being so violent. You know, understanding myself is, and understanding those other people around me through the words of these great playwrights, using whatever is going on inside me, but hey, I didn't write it. <laughs> okay, so what you just shared with me is a very deep understanding, which, which you wouldn't expect from a kid who's been bouncing around from school to school, right? There's no one in theater in your family. So he gets introduced to the theater, you know, the playwrights you just mentioned, they're like the best of the best, right? So, so how did you get introduced to them? I mean, to the theater, how did you even happen to stumble upon the theater? I was doing music because music helped me. Mm -hmm. I just liked music, even though I wasn't very good. I didn't care. No one could take it away from you. I wanted something no one could take away from you. No one can take music away from you. So you lose a CD, go buy it again. And then you can sit in your room with your music and no one will take that away. It's yours. So I enjoyed music so much because I felt it was mine and I attempted, you know, whatever I, uh, I was somewhat musical and I did a, a review of, of a musical in San Diego that somebody saw and they enjoyed it. You know, and then some guy who was a theater guy asked me to come in to read for a play. And I asked him for the music. Where's the music? He goes, no, no, there's no music. I go, but I need music. I don't, I, I'm, I don't know how to do that. But he was, he insisted, he was so persistent and invited me to the room 
a room of actors to read this play. My reading skills were, first of all, horrible. But somehow... You hadn't taken any acting? No, 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 nothing, nothing, nothing. But this guy had a good eye. And, and somehow, my sensibilities as a person, reading that role, just, just connected well. So when I ended up doing that play, there was too much about me connected already that, yeah, I had to work on technical things, but the, the, the roots were there. So the way it was received, it was wonderful. But then later, I mean, of course, my, my, my lack of skills would show when I would attempt things that... So I ended up looking for conservatories where I could learn, you know, because I wanted to learn. I'm like, well, let me learn how to do this. But it was more an interest in the interest of learning or just learning. Just I was just interested in it. Um, and eventually you're going to hear the name Arthur Miller. It's like, who's that? Tennessee, who's that? I didn't know who they were. Who's that? Well, let me go look. And I just open it. And just you can just read a couple sentences and then you go, what? My God. You know, and then you, <laughs> you. You attempt to, to do it and you realize that, hmm, there's a level of skills that you need here. Where do I get them? Let me go get them. I had the humanity side. I had the sensibilities that other people can go to the best schools in the world and they can do it technically beautiful. It's like, wow, this was great. I don't believe a thing you're doing. I, I already had that. I just had to learn the skills. But again, it was for myself, just to learn about myself and about people. And 10 years ago, 2004, I auditioned for the Geffen Playhouse here in town. They hired me. And I thought, is that a mistake? And then there were, it was an understudy, which I was understanding several roles, but still, the Geffen. Do they know I came from an orphanage? I'm a high school dropout. I'm a junior high dropout. I'm a dropout everything. Do they, do they know that? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Did you ever feel like you were conning them at all? Like, like you know, maybe I really don't belong here? All my life it feels that way. I feel that, are they going to find me out? It actually all my life feels that way. And that's why... I, I train myself as much as I can because I, I hold on to the craft because I don't want him to find out because <laughs> if they do, at least I can go, but wait, but I, I, I I've been learning. I, I've been searching and, and I've been testing myself. Don't take this away from me. <laughs> so, you know, yes, yes. I feel like I've been conning people because in my earlier years, I, that's what, how I got jobs. I ended up being a chef when I knew nothing about cooking, but I had, I needed a job. So I told them, 
I work there, I work there, and I give me a pan and I put butter and smoke comes out and I look like I know what I'm doing. I throw mushrooms in there. Whoa. So I just throw more stuff so it does more noise and more smoke. But eventually I got fired because the plates were coming back, <laughs> you know? Um, but no, no, I, you know. But you weren't afraid to give it a shot. Oh, I, 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 I just had to. I mean, I, you know, it, it was a job opening. I'm going to go try, you know, so. And while you were learning the craft, were you doing like, you know, odd jobs at the time? Yeah, no, no, yeah, I had a lot of jobs. Uh, when I was uh, at San Diego State, I looked like I was a student because I was in area, but I actually was a janitor at night. But nobody saw me because nobody's around at night. So I would clean the toilets of all the, the campus, you know. Uh, but in the daytime, I looked cool, like I was one of them, you know, because I was taking some classes there too, but they were... There's a way to take classes. There's a, a different book that you can take classes. You pay more and you're not quite a student of the university, but, you know, so that's what I was doing. And I was uh, uh, 25, 24, you know, uh, I mean, so, yes, no, no. I mean, I did a lot of jobs. I, I uh, The restaurant business, you know, like a lot of people, you know, that's a great industry. Because you can learn fast. There's a lot of restaurants that you can go. If you're a good, if you're a good uh, worker and a fast learner, uh, there's a lot of jobs. And um, I have found jobs there, and I got very good at that. You know, I mean, again, I, 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 I grabbed books about wine, and I, I read so much about wine just so that I, I was trying to overcompensate for my lack of. Um, education, my lack of upbringing. So when people would be relaxing, I'd be at home reading like eight books about every grape in the world because I didn't want, want them to find out, find me out, you know? And when they did, I wanted to defend myself. <laughs> so yes, no, no. And there was another great person that gave me an opportunity at a restaurant when, when I was at odds because for a while, my permission to stay here had run out and I wasn't supposed to be here, but I didn't know where to go and I couldn't get jobs. So it was very difficult. So I really know what an immigrant goes through, even though some people, you know, uh, the perception, I guess it would be physically, I don't appear to be like them, but I was just like them. I had the same problem they had, they have, they had. And uh, it was tough to to navigate that. And uh, one wonderful person that gave me a green light, even though she knew, he called me into the office and I said, oh my God, just like you were asking, uh, are, you, uh, uh, are you afraid to be found out? I was found out. Before other, um, I guess, um, when when that would come up, other times I would quit beforehand. So I always look like I would look like I, I'm leaving. I got better things to do. No, I'm unemployed again because they found me out, and uh, I, I felt like I was running. And I was I was like I was at odds. I'm like, what do I do? I can't go back to the orphanage. They won't take me in. I'm too old. I don't know where to go over there because I was in an orphanage. I don't know. I mean, I could go, I guess. I could just go to TJ and I don't know, sell blankets. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and it's not like I was like a, 
smart, studious person. Like, you know, you, you, there's a lot of people that don't have, uh, I guess, the legal documentation, but they have the studies. I mean, they're very smart. They're, they're gifted people that have used school to the best, the best of their abilities and, and they have master degrees and they're not able to practice in that field. So I didn't have that. I didn't have, I was in studios and I couldn't say, well, uh, no, no. <laughs> um, this person called me into the office and she looked me right in the, and right in, right, right in the eyes. And, and her compassion, I had only seen it once before with Soledad Canizales. This was the second time in my life when somebody looks me right in the eyes and tells me, don't worry about it. I know what you're going through. I will do what I can to steer it elsewhere. I won't let it get to you. As my, I'll do whatever I can to prolong the reality of it. And I always couldn't believe it. That person also doesn't know the impact that that had in me because two days later, I was going to pack and go to Tijuana. Where? I don't know. I don't know. But that person telling me that I could come back the next day and work, it's, it's what the immigrant, it's a green light, you know? It doesn't take that much to give somebody a green light. Just a break. Yeah, just, just give them a green light, you know? I know, I know there's a legality of it and the politics of it and the, let's just put that aside. Just be a human being for once. And, and so I'm, I'm big on green lights. I, I see someone, I give green lights because people gave me the green light to be here. And now I'm here, the profession I have, the opportunities I have. I'm so grateful and, I'm for, and fortunate, but it would have never happened if it wasn't for those key people that had given me green lights for me to cross the street. You know, immigrants take a beating. They take a beating. People look, look, look at them and, and it, there's a look of, not hate, but not of love, not of compassion. That's a human being right there. That right there was somebody's child at one point. Now they're an adult and look at them. They're just trying to make a living. That's all they're doing, okay? They have the same feelings you have. They love, they need, they laugh. Maybe not as often as you, but they do laugh sometimes. And, yeah. You know, one of the things that we struggle with, and this is just part of the, just part of the history of our country, We'll see one immigrant wave come in and inevitably they're met with resistance, right? But then they begin to assimilate. Their children and grandchildren often disassociate from that experience and inevitably become the oppressors of the next immigrant wave. So, you know, part of what we're trying to do with this project is to begin the process of breaking that cycle, right? So how do we ensure that our children and grandchildren don't become the oppressors 
of that next immigrant wave? It's a difficult, difficult task, but I think your project, I think this, the immigrant archive project is making steps to, towards that end result. Because a lot of kids don't even speak the language. They forget the language. But I don't blame them that much because they're, they're also trying to defend themselves. They're trying to belong. You know, because, yeah. you know, they go to school and there's a point, the finger pointing and the ridiculing. And so you want to, you know, you know, speak English. And But beyond the language, I think it's I think it's important that they stay connected to that compassion. You know? mm -hmm. you need to be thankful, I think, for the sacrifices of so many people that have come before you. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's when you lose sight of it, right, that you start to think, well, everybody lives well or drives a fancy car. Oh, because they do drive a fancy car and live in a fancy home. The assumption that they always had. Or that they're better than someone that doesn't drive a fancy car. Everybody's entitled to those things. If you work for them, yes. Some people, they, they were born into it and that's okay. Sure. But a lot of people have worked for it very hard and they deserve those things too if they want them. I mean, they're not important. You know, they're just... But it's important that the credit and respect be given to the work. The work that went into acquiring that and not having the children and grandchildren take it for granted, you know, just that they understand that a lot of hard work and sacrifice went into getting them there. You know, I don't know. It's just it's just the way I, I happen to feel. Yeah, I, I guess the, re the responsibility of the parents, you know, I, it's a big responsibility because there will be resistance from the kids. Normal. They're growing up. They want their own sense of identity. Cool kids, blah, blah, blah. It's tough. It's I mean, right now. I speak to my little girl only in Spanish because I tell her that I don't speak English. That's my only way of doing it. And when she wants something, she has to force herself to ask me in Spanish because I go, oh, Papa, don't, don't, don't speak English. I'm sorry, Mama. ¿Qué, qué, qué dices? Because she's already losing it. But as she goes to school, all English. She's four. Four. So, yeah, so, but then she hears me speak English and goes, Papa, I heard you speak English. Oh no, I did. Oh my God, I'm learning. You know, so uh, it's, it's, it's a big responsibility of us to, to let our children know that there was a struggle before them. So they understand what immigrants go through, you know, the, the sacrifices that they made so that they can have a better life which they will, you know, my children will have a better life. But I hope they, they also retain a sense of compassion and understanding for the new people who will come, the new immigrants. I don't want them standing on the other side of the street with the banners saying, well, I'm an American citizen. What are you doing here again? It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Daddy wasn't an American citizen. You know, I was them. So be careful. So, so it's a tough job, you know. It's a, but this, this, the stories that you capture with this wonderful project, which the feeling I got when I was first introduced to it at this dinner, I was in the back of the room and my mouth was open. I was like, how cool is that? Because we need role models. We need people like ourselves up there so that we can in turn feel like we can do that too you know 
We also need that, and, and, and not just for our community. We need to show members outside of our community that at the end of the day, it's really the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. We all have the same dreams and aspirations. We want better things for our children. We may be a little different, maybe a little, a little louder sometimes, but at the end of the day, it's all the exact same thing. Yeah, it's the same, it's the same. We want the same, we want uh, happiness, we want peace, we want to, uh, you know, give our children a good life and we want to enjoy ourselves. You know, life is short, we'll be out of here soon, all of us. Need to be more compassionate to 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 those who are different, you know, those who are different than us. You know, because sometimes even our own race will discriminate against our own race because they're darker than us, darker, they're right? shorter Short, than us, heavier, yeah. they're not educated. It's like well, you know, we do the same. It's just it's a, it's a cycle, you know. I mean, the human condition that needs to be exercised. I think. You know? Yeah, and I think uh, art. It's a tool that can do that. Art, art does that. Like music, music is universal. Like music can open doors. Art can open doors, the theater, music and, and, and all those things. Art has a way of bringing people of all backgrounds and colors together. Art is, I think is a beautiful thing. It, it's, it's been for me and, and my best friends are people of the theater. Not because I know them so long or because we hang out all the time. It's the compassion that they have for humanity. People who are artistic or, or, or their eyes are open to art. They have a sense. There's a certain sensibility. Yes. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's a, a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a beautiful it's thing. Beautiful. It's a, you know, but to be exposed to that, because many people are not. So most people are not, sadly. For me, the key was that I was able to be exposed to that, whether by accident or however it happened, it happened because most people are not. A lot of immigrants have no idea, no idea. They don't know anything. And there's not time for that. There's no. Yeah, exactly. Most of the people are working two full time jobs. Are you going to spend money in the theater? I mean, as important as that is, but it's not. It's no, not you gotta feed. Years. You gotta feed your family first. They're putting out a fire, unfortunately. Getting back to your point about art, man, it's it's what makes us human. It's what separates us from the rest of the animals. You know, animals can't create art. That's what makes us human. You know, sometimes it gets defunded and it isn't taken seriously, and you know, it's 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 looked down upon as something frivolous, and and it's not. I mean, it's at the very core of our humanity. Yes, yes. I mean, art, and even when it's bad, it's good. Because <laughs> not all art is good. I mean, it's so subjective. But what it is, is a form of expression. That person is learning to express themselves. These are the beginning steps. It's not very good. It's like learning to speak. So um, when you're hungry, you know, it's like it doesn't have to be the best meal. But if you're hungry, it's still okay. It's good. It feels good. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, you're right. I mean, art is not available to everyone because people have to work and feed their families. But the more we can make it available to them, it enriches your life so much. Um, it helps you learn to express yourself in ways that you're unable to do so because of your story, because of the life you live, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, those people have 
tremendous stories. I mean, just, just ask a couple questions if, if they're willing to answer them. Fascinating. I mean, you just go, wait, you left your whole family to come here and sell oranges? Wow. And how long did it take you? Oh, two weeks. Two weeks. My God. I mean, and, and where did you sleep? And, 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 but, but they still get up and do it. My God, the strength in these people to get up and do it. And that's another reason why we started this project, right? I felt that mainstream America could really learn from our experiences. I mean, I felt that if they took a page, right, if they just took a page from our playbook, you know, they could see how in one generation, man, the family comes over, right? The parents take on backbreaking work and their kids go on to attend law school, and medical school. And you don't have to go far to find those examples, right? It's like there's practically one on every corner these days. I guarantee you, you could find a landscaper or a maid working at this hotel right now that has a kid attending some of the best schools in the country. Yes. And those examples aren't just, they just aren't as prevalent in mainstream America, but you can find those inspirational stories within our immigrant communities. That's a very good point. You're right. In one generation, the, the change that happens is huge. This person is willing to take three jobs and, and walk and, and ride a bicycle to work and, and, and not have any leisure activities for them so that their kids can have a better life. And then those kids graduate from some of the best schools. But if these kids were not given that opportunity, that would have never happened. You judge them as dumb kids. All they need is the opportunity to read the books just like you. And then you'll realize they're not dumb at all. They're, I mean, yeah, yeah. In one generation, the differences that can happen which speaks volumes about the immigrant and speaks volumes about the U.S., no? This is one of the few countries where this can actually happen, which explains why the country is such a magnet for so many millions of people from all across the globe. Oh, no, 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 no. I think it can only happen in this country. I think I can, I mean, again, I'm no politician. I don't have the data to say it, you know, factually, but I think it can only happen here because it happens all the time. You know, uh, in other countries, it's not as easy. It's not here. Yes, you will struggle and you will work very hard and you will endure very bad times. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. Because there's a lot of examples of many successful people who their parents were immigrants and had nothing. But they worked so hard so that their children would have an opportunity. And now they're these children are pillars of society if they're not judges they're great attorneys they're great professors they're great artists they, they they have a lot to offer to humanity to society and we would have never seen that if you don't give them that opportunity so this country provides you know those channels those avenues it will be hard but you have to endure it and you will succeed. You will succeed. I mean, you know, I love the United States for allowing me to stay. <laughs> Even though they didn't want me at first, you know, but... Uh, they came around. Yeah, yeah, you know, I had to do a lot of work and, you know, and eventually, ah, just let him stay. He's not going to go anywhere. 
How many damage did he do? Exactly. Just come on. He's not look. He's not stealing. You know. He's only. You know. So he's fine. Let him stay. You know. And looking back on your life, what are you the proudest of? There's many sides to that, but I will have to say that my proudest accomplishments or feelings come from being a, a, a father to my children. To give them that love and compassion that I so wanted myself, but I, it wasn't around. I didn't, and I could have just turned the other way and been a bitter kid. And, and because no one gave it to me, then I'm not going to give it to anyone and just be a deadbeat dad and just, you know, because it's, an, it, it's what you expect. It's what happens. It's, it's that chain reaction. It, it continues on. And it, and, and it takes awareness for you to be able to to change it and say, wait, I can do that or I can do the opposite. And, and so my children, to, to love my children, to, to just, I mean, I, I think I, my wife makes fun of me because I, I just, I'm always hugging and kissing my little girl. And I just go, I, I just, why not? Why not? You know, why, you know, I know one day she's going to push me off when she's 16. Dad, <laughs> don't do that, you know, because, you know, but being given the opportunity to be a father to me is my biggest challenge and the biggest struggle because I've struggled also it would, you know, my own little demons inside that I have to like quiet down and go. Um, I'm overcompensating for what wasn't around because I, I know what it was like to be a child and, and needing some sort of sense of uh, just compassion, love, uh, I mean, or someone patting you on the back. And I think I would have done really good in school if I had someone who would have asked me for my grades. Can I see your grades? Or, or, or you know, I play sports and, and no one ever came. So I eventually quit because I was doing it because I wanted someone to come and tell me, you're good. You know, so no one's coming. Let me just quit. <laughs> uh, so, you know, my proudest moment is, is being a dad and, and, and loving my child and making sure that she grows, grows up to be a, a strong, smart, loving, fun, compassionate human being that will help others when she's able to. That's beautiful, man. They made you wait for it, but you know what? In the end, they gave it to you. <laughs> it doesn't always happen. Yeah, no, no, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. You know, they, they gave it to me. I have to lie a lot of times, but... Sometimes you have to lie. So I look, I don't want to, but you're making me lie. <laughs> it's a good lie, you know. I mean, you know. Um, no, I'm very fortunate. I'm extremely. I mean, I was in an orphanage in Tecate for ten years. I didn't even think I'm. I, I, I'd be around after eighteen. 
I mean, I didn't want to turn 18. Everybody wants to turn 18. I didn't want to because they're going to give me $100 and tell me to leave. Leave where? You know, so I didn't want to turn 18. <laughs> but then, um, so no, I'm extremely fortunate, grateful that uh, the universe, God, life, art has given me a green light to cross the street. And I've done my work so that I can stick around. What do you wish they would have said to you upon arrival? Like, what is it you know now as an older, more seasoned version of you that you wish someone would have told you back then when you first came to the U.S.? I wish somebody would have told me, we like you. We like, we like it when you're around. So come around more often. Just feeling welcomed. Just... Just the green light, just just opening the door so that you feel like you belong, you know? So I guess I would tell that child, you know, you are someone. You may not know who you are now, but I hope that one day you do know that you are someone. What? I don't know, but you are someone that has to count for something. The rest is up to you. Whatever your aspirations become as an adult, sports, uh, school, uh, art, I don't know. But never forget that you are someone and you can make an impact on the life of others. A decade later, and Antonio Jaramillo and I are still in touch. Over the years, we've proudly watched our children grow and our careers evolve. Most recently, Antonio launched Cafecito Jaramillo, his own brand of premium coffee. I've yet to try it, but I do love the logo. It consists of two smiling faces, his and his daughter's. Be sure to catch Antonio Jaramillo's latest film, Memory, starring Liam Neeson and directed by Martin Campbell. The Immigrant Archive Project is edited and co-produced by Edie Gonzalez. Our director of photography is Daniel Godoy. For more stories, please visit us online at immigrantarchiveproject.org. I'm Tony Hernandez. Thanks for listening. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.